reliable are sustainability targets set by energy companies? Honestly, our targets change all the time. As we're constantly evolving, we're also constantly revisiting and revising our targets, setting even more ambitious ones. I'm Florencia Garrido, and I work at Siemens Energy. See how we are transforming energy at SiemensEnergy.com. Protesters in Portland have chanted their names for months now. George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, black Americans killed by police this year. But the decades-old movement for police reform locally started with another name, Kendra James. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Up next, Noelle Crombie and Shane Dixon-Kavanaugh talk about their story analyzing all the fatal police shootings dating back to 2003, when James was shot and killed during a traffic stop. Since Kendra James was killed, Portland police shot and killed 39 more people. A disproportionate number of them were black. We talked about their findings, about several of the killings that have in particular galvanized mass protests, and what has happened to the officers who pulled the trigger. Here's our conversation. Noel Crombie and Shane Dixon-Kavanaugh, thanks for taking time to talk today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you, Andrew. Well, thank you both for uh, your really uh, powerful and comprehensive look at uh, police shootings here in Portland dating back almost two decades. And I just want to know, what was the genesis for this project? Can you describe why you launched on this? We decided that this, given the backdrop of the demands uh, for pretty far-reaching police reform, that we're hearing uh, among advocates and activists right now, uh, we thought it was a good time to reflect on uh, what that movement has accomplished uh, in the past, you know, nearly two decades since the killing of Kendra James, which really served as a, a watershed uh, incident in, um, in the city's um, history with the Black community. Um, you mentioned Kendra James. There are lots of names that people hear out on the streets during these, you know, now 80 days of protests. And it's not just the George Floyds or the Breonna Taylors or Tamir Rice's or Trayvon Martin. Some of these really um, transcendent names and, and lives cut short nationally. What Remind us what happened to Kendra James. A lot of folks might not have lived in Portland when she was killed. Kendra James was uh, in a car with um, uh, other people and she was in the back seat of the car when she was, when the car was stopped by Portland police. Uh, Kendra had grown up in North Portland. Uh, she was a young African-American woman. She was unarmed. Um, at some point, police moved to remove the men who were in the front of the car uh, from the vehicle, and Kendra moved into the front seat. At uh, the time, there was a warrant out for her arrest on a, a drug-related charge. Uh, the officer uh, reached into the vehicle. Um, at one point, uh, he said that 80% of his body was in, in the vehicle. Uh, the car moved, was it placed in gear um, and began to move. And uh, the officer, Scott McAllister, uh, lost his footing, he said, and he feared he'd be dragged down the street. Uh, so he, he drew his um, 9mm pistol and fired one shot at uh, Kendra James, 
Uh, she, the bullet pierced her hip and lodged under her right breast. She died at the scene. A lot of the, um, the details of what happened to Kendra James are, are, are really, um, were really offensive and deeply upset, uh, people in Portland. Um, she was removed from the vehicle and, and left uh, on the street for a time without, aid being immediately rendered to her. Um, it took uh, a while for um, police to be interviewed about what happened. Um, and um, uh, it, uh, the officer involved um, received a suspension that was later reversed uh, by a state arbitrator. Hmm. Um, grand jury found the shooting was justified and a, loss, a wrongful death lawsuit filed by her family uh, reached the same conclusion, and 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 that lawsuit was rejected. All of these details are so central to the to this uh, James um, incident, and really galvanized um, the the movement for police reform in Portland. And that's why we chose that incident as as the kind of marker. Uh, we started there and looked ahead. What has happened since this really important uh, turning point? And Shane, um, how did you go about, you know, digging into all of these incidents? Because there are, you know, dozens of them. How did you go about reporting this story? Like Noel said, we were, I mean, if we wanted to take a look uh, around sort of use of force or use of deadly force by police, uh, you know, we had to sort of create parameters for what our project was going to look at. And, uh, you know, and try to make it sort of as focused as possible. So Noel talked about why we started with Kendra James, but then looking ahead, we sort of quickly determined that we are going to only sort of view and analyze uh, deaths that occurred by uh, by shootings by Portland police. Uh, There have been other people who have died in police custody uh, in Portland since uh, James's death in May 2003. And there have also been incidents of deadly force that have not involved guns where people have died. Mm-hmm. But so we wanted to look exclusively at uh, fatal police shootings. And so we just uh, started going back and compiling that list. And what we found based on sort of those parameters specifically is that since uh the death of Kendra James, there have been 39 other uh, fatal Portland police shootings uh, that that we look, ended up looking at. And of those, um, I guess, including uh, Kendra James, those 40 deaths, um, what, what jumped out from your findings? And can you describe kind of some of the trends that you uh, spotted and, and what it means? Yeah, sure thing. And, you know, and what we did is uh, Noel and I went and did sort of a comprehensive in-depth review of every one of these 40 fatal police shootings. And that meant we went back and looked at uh, the Oregonians news coverage of each of these cases mm-hmm. at the time, we went back and looked at police reports, uh, grand jury transcripts, uh, interviewed uh, people who were, uh, you know, involved in the, the, you know, the the aftermath of the shootings and what have you. Talked to family members of those who were killed, you know, and a few things that sort of immediately popped out to us uh, when looking at this was, you know, first and foremost, 
you know, most most folks know by now that Portland is a predominantly white city and one of the whitest uh, big cities in the U.S. And what we found was that there was uh, a disproportionate number of black people who were shot and killed by police in the shootings that we looked at. So if you look at Portland's black population, which is about 8% right now, we were finding that uh, of those 40 shootings, 11 of them were about 28% uh, involved uh, a, a black man or woman. So that was kind of the, the you know, the first thing uh, that that jumped out at us. And I, this isn't uh, I mean, this is something that you see uh, with fatal police shootings around the U.S., so it's not unique to Portland, but still, uh, you know, I think warrants sort of attention and focus on that, especially in the context of why there is this massive ongoing uh, movement, uh, Black Lives Matter movement, and calls for, uh, you know, the end to police brutality and systemic racism uh, at large. And then sort of the other thing, which is a little bit more unique to Portland, or at least based on the experts that we spoke with, is that in half of these shootings, fatal shootings, 20 of them uh, involved a person who was uh, experiencing uh, either a, who are either mentally ill or experiencing like a pretty serious mental health crisis when they were shot and killed by Portland police. So half of all these shootings involve somebody who was, uh, you know, are you know very clearly uh, mentally ill or in crisis when it happened? Noel, what did you hear from elected officials or Portland police officers when you presented them with your findings? Because no other entity, as far as I know, right, has done this level of analysis. Yeah, I mean, we sent these findings to um, the uh, president of the union that represents Portland police, and we did not hear back from uh, Daryl Turner. Hmm. Uh, We did hear uh, from the police chief. Uh, He sent uh, a written response saying that, you know, each of these incidents um, has undergone an extensive internal um, an external review, you know, a consultant has been engaged in looking at these shootings for a, you know, a decade um, mm-hmm. and reviews all of them. Um, he said, you know, these are rare, but uh, they do have a lasting effect on families and the community uh, and the Bureau itself, um, that the, the Bureau tries to learn from uh, these incidents that, you know, the Bureau's carried out a lot of major reforms around mental health and use of force um, over the past decade. And he said that they're committed to, uh, this is Chief Lavelle, that they're committed to building community trust and um, doing the best they can to, to serve the community. As far as um, elected officials, um, you know, they, they were uh, not surprised, uh, d- disappointed, and said that really this um, analysis uh, shows the, um, you know, the need for reform. Yeah. And I think the other thing to sort of point out there is I think that, you know, most people who have sort of paid attention to or followed uh, fatal use of force by Portland police uh, in recent years or even the last couple of decades uh, sort of have an idea or sort of knew that there was likely uh, this sort of disproportionate number of black men and women who are killed Mm -hmm. or that there were a lot of folks who were experiencing mental illness when they were shot and killed by police. But this was, uh, I mean, this was the first time that anybody's actually went and, you know, 
zero drilled down and found what the numbers actually were and uh, sort of empirically what the what the trends were in, in that regard. And then I think the other thing too, and I didn't mention this earlier, I mean, in terms of findings, uh, was also just sort of looking at the outcomes of, uh, of these cases and uh, what happened to the officers who were involved in these shootings and sort of the kind of uh, top line findings with that were of the, within, with these 40 shootings, there were 65 different uh, police officers who were involved in them. Uh, none of them were ever uh, indicted by a grand jury uh, here in Multnomah County, and that of those 65, only three of them ever faced any sort of uh, uh, disciplinary action. Uh, two of them were fired. One of them was suspended for five and a half months. But uh, all three of those disciplinary actions were ultimately overturned mm-hmm. uh, by a state arbitrator. Two of the three incidents that we're talking about, right, were involving people of color as well. Correct. There's been a sense nationally um, for years now that officers involved in these shootings are not disciplined. And uh, your findings show, showed that here locally, um, that that's also the case. Yeah. And I, I mean, arguably, and, you know, if you talk to both advocates, police reform act uh, advocates, or, you know, uh, some people who are now elected officials, uh, both at the city council here in Portland, and then as uh, state legislators uh, here in Oregon. I mean, they essentially will make the argument at this point that there is essentially no, you know, there appears to be no real accountability when it comes to a police officer uh, killing somebody, uh, you know, and, and obviously, I mean, every one of these cases, and I, I think this is the other sort of important thing to point out. Mm-hmm. And I think our sort of project overall sort of shows this is that, I mean, every one of these cases is very specific and unique and different in its own way. The circumstances, uh, you know, there's just so many different sort of elements that go into it. And all of them are just really sort of uh, at the end of the day, I mean, just e- extremely just sort of chaotic and messy. And uh, so, I mean, it's it's hard to sort of generalize, you know, we are pulling out these sort of larger sort of generalizations or findings, but you also have to sort of look at each one of these individually as well. Noel, did you get a sense from your reporting of uh, how we fare nationally um, in terms of use of force involving uh, people of color and and, um, by police officers? There aren't a lot of good uh, places to look for that um, information, Uh, but there are two researchers, two epidemiologists out of Harvard uh, did study uh, police shootings, fatal police encounters in 400 about 400 uh, American cities and placed uh, Portland uh, roughly in the middle uh, when it comes to um, police killings for all race, all races and ethnicities. They looked at that data from 2013 to 2017. The one caveat to that is that research looked also, it didn't just drill down on Portland. Mm-hmm. It looked at um, the, the very broad uh, metro area, which is, you know, very white. Um, and so that, I think skewed a little bit uh, Portland's ranking, and nationally, sort of, we know just broadly, as Shane said, that that Black Americans are killed at a much higher rate than White uh, Americans. Um, that the, the Washington Post has done a lot of excellent journalism around that and has tracked fatal 
uh, shootings by on-duty uh, cops since 2015. And um, they found that uh, Black people account for less than 13% of the U.S. population but are killed by police at more than twice the rate of whites. Let's take a break and come back and talk a little bit more with Noel Crombie and Shane Dixon-Cavanaugh. Noel and Shane, you know, reading through these vignettes and summaries that you compiled of all these shootings, I'm left with uh, ultimately, Shane, you mentioned these are all messy. They're also just so sad. Um, it's just a very sad experience reading through all these when you sat back and looked at at the totality of it. Uh, w- what was it like? It's overwhelming. Um, and it's really important, I think, as Shane said, to, to really pay attention to the details and the circumstances in each of these. We're looking at cops who are in very stressful, difficult situations, um, and people who are, um, in often in a state of distress. Uh, some of the people in these cases were in the midst of, um, violent acts, uh, harming other people. Um, so some, some of the instances seem, um, maybe, uh, a little clearer, uh, than others, right. uh, but, but some are just, uh, at the end of the day, just, just extremely tragic. Uh, I'm thinking of the case of Aaron Campbell, the young man who was, um, in a really distraught over the, the loss of his, um, brother who was ill and Aaron Campbell had been caring for his brother um, and was uh, really grief stricken and in crisis when he encountered police and uh, a series of of miscommunications led to um, uh, police killing uh, Mr. Campbell at the scene. Uh, That did result in a really extraordinary rebuke by the grand jury of the Portland Police Bureau. Mm -hmm. But it was just a, a very sad um, set of facts and, and a real tragedy for the Campbell family. They lost two sons on the same day. Yeah. Yeah, they did. And Shane, um, what other, uh, incidents stayed with you or jumped out to you, uh, when going back through the last 17 plus years and looking at these, these shootings? Yeah. Well, I mean, sort of to Noel's point, I mean, each of these, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sort of uh, of the mind that anytime, uh, when somebody is killed <laughs> mm-hmm. in our in, in our city, uh, whether it's by police or uh, you know or through other you know uh, for for other reasons, it's it's an absolute tragedy. And what happens is, uh, and what's sort of instructive and you know interesting with looking at these cases is when somebody dies at the hands of police, uh, you know we uh, there is so much uh sort of r- reporting and uh sort of review of what has happened so y- you get sort of a glimpse into the circumstances leading up to somebody being killed in a way that you don't always get to see uh in other cases so i think as a result of that all of them are 
uh, I mean, sort of stick with you just because there is just, you know, so much about uh, the people who are, who are killed. Uh, you learn a ton about the officers who are involved in these shootings, you know, and as we sort of point out, I mean, you know, uh, there are a handful of these cases where people are killed who are unarmed or, I mean, really weren't in a situation where it seems that deadly force uh, would have been necessary at all. Mm-hmm. And then just the simple fact that we have so many of these people who were uh, dealing with, were in crisis or dealing with some form of mental illness and then having this be the sort of end result. Uh, I mean, we saw this, I mean, recently too. I mean, uh, just within 2019, actually, there haven't been any fatal police shootings in Portland this year in 2020. So uh, in 2019, I mean, five people were shot and killed by Portland police and three of them were, you know, very, very uh, mentally ill when it occurred. And uh, both uh, Andre Gladden and Coben Henriksen are sort of two of those that uh, I think both because I reported on both of those cases after they occurred, um, but just, uh, and they're still fresh in people's minds. I mean, both of those are very, very sad situations. Yeah, and I think to, to add to that too, uh, the, 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 the grief that um, is left after these uh, incidents is, is really uh, profound. I was speaking with uh, Coben Hendrickson's, Hendrickson's father um, who uh, said his son was just a very sick man and um, that he needed help. Uh, he'd been on and off his medication and living on the streets. And um, he felt that Portland police um, just failed, failed his son. He had previous interactions with officers that, um, you know, that that were de-escalated, right? Yes, including the officer who ended up fatally uh, shooting him. Right. Um, and, and, he, and, the, and, and the point that Coben's father is make, may, has made is, you know, they were successful. They talked his son down to the point where, you know, his son was sitting down and crying and they got him mm. help. Um, and then the next encounter has a, a very different um, outcome. Uh, the, the police said that the, in that second encounter, Coben uh, Henriksen was was more aggressive and, and appearing more dangerous. Um, but the father says, you know, it doesn't appear that they really learned much from the first encounter they had with Coben. The second time police encountered Henriksen and ended up killing him, uh, he was fatally wounded within a matter of seconds of police Mm -hmm. arriving on the scene. Uh, It was something like 16 seconds after the cops arrived, uh, he was shot and killed. Noel, one of the other names that um, you are sure to hear if you are out on the streets or uh, covering or participating in Portland's protests is uh, Qantas Hayes. Uh, Can you... uh, Tell us what you um, what you learned from his family, how they're doing, um, speaking with them, and then remind us how he died. I spoke with uh, Qantas's grandma, um, Donna, who remains very engaged in calls for police reform. Um, she uh, said that, um, she, that the findings that we uh, arrived at through our analysis did not surprise her. Uh, that um, police are trained as warriors and that these findings sort of reflect that warrior culture and that the training 
uh, that Portland police have undergone in recent years or over the past decade uh, has has done little to address that that warrior culture. Her her grandson Aquinas, who was known to his family as Moose, uh, was a suspect in an armed robbery and an attempted carjacking. Uh, when police encountered him uh, three years ago uh, in the winter of 2017. Um, Police at the time were told that uh, the teen um, had held up a man in a car and that the man had described his assailant as having a tan pistol. Uh, When police found Hayes in an alcove uh, that day, they ordered him to keep his hands up, but to crawl toward them uh, on the ground and then lie with his hands by his side. That, that's according to grand jury testimony. Um, they said, the police said that he appeared to reach toward his waistband uh, and that prompted an officer to fire and, and on Qantas and kill him. A uh, replica gun was found a couple of feet from, uh, from Qantas's body. Uh, his grandmother does not by that account of what happened. In fact, the family has a lawsuit pending against the city. You know, she said her, her, her grandson was a kid, but he wasn't stupid. Um, and that he had been taught by his family to always keep his hands where police could see them. Uh, she, her quote to me was, they will see you as blacks always, you know, show your hands. So she, um, she is very strong uh, advocate for reform and, um, you know, still grieving the loss of her grandson. Yeah, I think the other sort of thing to just uh, point out here, again, is in terms of presenting the findings uh, from this review or analysis, sort of across the board, uh, there is sort of that perception among people that what we're showing is, on the one hand, not that surprising, but also the follow-up response is clearly whatever we've been doing over the last two decades uh, is not working. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, just in terms of uh, police reform and accountability, uh, w- whatever measures have been taken to date just aren't, uh, you know, sort of changing uh, the, 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 the dynamics of how people are dying in, in Portland in these fatal police shootings. Uh, you at the outset mentioned that um, the parameters of of your analysis um, sticking to police shootings, um, but you know it strikes me when you talk about all the reforms that haven't you know made any headway. I guess uh, a, a name that you do mention in your story, um, but was not one of those forty incidents. Uh, James Chassey, a white man um, who uh, was schizophrenic, who died in police custody. Also kind of another example of, uh, you know, just a use of force going wrong. Yeah. And the, and the city ended up uh, paying uh, the family um, uh, one of the you know, largest payouts uh, as a result of um, uh, Mr. Chassie's death. Um, that, too, was, as you say, a very high profile incident uh, that uh, generated a lot of um, attention and calls for reform. Um, what do you hope uh, Portlanders, Oregonians take away from from your reporting? Well, look, local journalism matters. This took a lot of time and resources, uh, and uh, we we spend you know we, we dedicated a, a lot of of time to looking into this, and I think that that's something that we're in a position to do and to present this sort of really authoritative um, analysis is what. Um, you look to the Oregonian to do, and I 
we, this was an important public service. How long did you spend on, on this project? Well, we began it in, 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 in uh, June and then we uh, were uh, sidetracked by um, the he- heating up of the protests in Portland and the engagement of, of federal law enforcement um, in the protests. And so we turned our attention to that. And then a couple of weeks ago, uh, picked this back up. Um, it required a lot of reporting, a, a lot of pouring over of thousands of pages of, of records and making sense of them. So it was, you know, I would say all told, it was probably four weeks, Shane. Yeah, um, I'd say it was about that much time as well. It, I mean, it was it was it was quite a lot of work, especially because we had two reporters working on this uh, almost exclusively. And then we, you know, had uh, a lot of help from uh our editor and also other reporters in the newsroom that were, you know, invaluable to uh, making this uh, project come together. Um, You know, I think I would also just sort of add, you know, what do I hope that people get out of this is, I mean, right now uh, in Portland, we're on day 80 something of nightly protests uh, that are calling, you know, crying for, uh, uh, reforms and accountability with policing to, uh, to be actually taken up. And I, I think sort of what this reporting does is, uh, you know, people can now go to this and they can look at what have fatal police shootings in Portland for nearly two decades looked like uh, very specifically. It's accessible. Uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's boiled down. Uh, you, you can draw sort of the larger sort of conclusions that we've been able to pull out after looking at uh, 40 of these cases. But I'd also sort of encourage people to just sort of look at the case. We've put together uh, very detailed case summaries of each one of these shootings. Uh, And, you know, I would just encourage people to sort of look at those as well, because again, um, you know, I I just want to emphasize that all of them, are sort of unique in their own way. And uh, I would sort of encourage people to sort of uh, appreciate the complexity of all of these cases, uh, you know, regardless of what the outcome was. Well, thank you both for this uh, really uh, invaluable work that you've done and for uh, informing us all of, of, of uh, all these cases. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, thanks so much, Andrew. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. I shared a link to Noel and Shane's story in the episode notes. If you like this show and value our journalism, leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. Better yet, subscribe to Oregon Live. You can do that at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Until next time.